Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 23. We have a full house this week. We also have a special guest, Anthony Roman, who is here to talk to us about Azure Network Security. Uh, before we get to Anthony, let's take a quick run around the news. Uh, Mark, I believe you have a public service announcement for us. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, very simple. Please patch your Exchange servers. Um, this is the on-prem Exchange servers. Exchange Online does not require this, but for those of you that are still running Exchange servers, whether it's in hybrid mode or um, still dedicated on-premise Exchange um, instance, please apply the latest update. A couple key points about this. Impact is very high if an attacker is able to compromise it. We have seen active exploits in the wild. The permissions that someone could get from this are right around that domain admin level in most configurations of Exchange. There's some different optional configurations you can do, but for the most part, Exchange typically has roughly domain admin equivalent, so very, very important to patch this. So all the supported Exchange releases, the patch is available and released, including uh, one out-of-support version, uh, Exchange 2010, is also has a patch available for that. Um, so uh, defense in depth uh, assistance there. Uh, one other quick note is that the cumulative updates for Exchange do have to be kept um, do have to be at the current rev. Um, so if you're a, a cumulative update behind or two, um, you will have to apply that before the patch. Um, but again, uh, please, please patch this as fast as possible. Start with the internet facing ones that have uh, Outlook Web Access and, and any other sort of internet exposed elements. Um, start with that first and, uh, and, and get all of on-prem ex exchange servers that you have patched as soon as you can. That uh, concludes a public service announcement. Okay, so my news this week. Oh, big surprise. I'm talking about Sentinel. Um, but this time I wanted to talk about um, UEBA or User and Entity Behavior Analytics Insights in the Entity page. So uh, we've had the Entity pages for a little while now, but uh, we're having more we're having uh, more insights there. So what we're having is general UEBA insights, which is uh, summarizing anomalous user activities across geographic locations, devices, um, the frequency horizon. Um, so what I mean by that is basically, um, you know, compared to the user's uh, previous history, does it does it match up? Um, and it also will compare with their peers' behavior and the organization's behavior. Um, we also uh, can do insight based on security group membership. So we can see uh, your SOC analyst is able to see what other users have similar position, permissions, sorry. And there's a threat indicators related to the user. This one I think is pretty cool because it shows um, any threat indicator matches. So if you're not familiar with threat indicators, um, they can be um, IP addresses, they can be URLs, they could be file hashes. And if any of those indicators are related to this user account, so for example, we see this user logging in from uh, what is known to be a, a known a malicious IP address, that's going to turn up too. So Sentinel UEBA is very cool. Um, it You do need to go and turn it on in Sentinel. So, um, and you need to give it about four days before it will actually be able to give you some insights, the engine, but 
go check it out. And then um, one of our colleagues over in the developer advocate operations team has written a really cool blog about, and that's Sonia Cuff, has written a really cool blog about what's the difference between Security Center, Defender, and Sentinel. Because I don't know about the rest of you folks, I get asked this question a lot. Um, and it's a really nice article that explains uh, what def Azure Defender is used for, um, what Security Center is used for, and what Sentinel is used for. Because um, to the um, uh, uninitiated, they can be pretty similar. Yeah, so I got a bunch of things that really took my interest this week. One of the first ones we now have an SDK, an encryption SDK available. I was kind of joking at the beginning of the podcast when we were discussing this that I could probably take up the entire podcast just talking about this this subject. So for those of you familiar, there's a technology in SQL Server called Always Encrypted, and it allows you to do queries uh, over, over ciphertext, some, some kinds of queries over ciphertext. I'm not going to go into all the nuances of it. Well, that technology and the, the, the crypto that's used is now available in preview um, in an SDK. Uh, we'll have the links um, in the show notes that explain you know, how you can use it and uh, some sample applications that you can sort of experiment with. But this is really, really cool because, you know, in theory anyway, and probably in practice, you could take some data, uh, you could uh, pass it through this SDK, encrypt it, store that information in, say, Cosmos DB, and then you could take the data out of Cosmos DB and you could put it into SQL Server and do queries over it. So this is a really cool technology. Um, I've used a pre-production version of this with, uh, with some customers, um, and they like it. It's fast, it's well-designed, uh, and it's well worth um, you know, sort of experimenting with if you're interested in in cryptography. Uh, another thing that took my interest this week was um, TypeScript notebooks are now available. Now you may be thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, what's TypeScript got to do with security? Nothing whatsoever. The reason why I want to add it is because I just want more and more people using TypeScript over JavaScript because JavaScript just helps you write um, you know, insecure and incorrect code. I, I just don't like JavaScript. I'm, I made that obvious last week. So anyway, TypeScript uh, for Jupyter Notebooks are now available, and there'll be a link, link to that as well. So you can install it, same Visual Studio Code, and experiment with it um, as, you, as you want. And the last thing I want to bring up, uh, this is really cool too, is there is now support for customer managed encryption keys for Azure storage tables and queues. Um, historically, you could use customer managed keys, but only for, say, blob storage, uh, not for tables and queues. So that's available uh, in preview today. It is only available in a small number of regions, um, East US, South Central US, and West US too. But obviously, like everything else in Azure, we will eventually uh, you know, open that up to, to more regions. Hi, everyone. Last podcast, I mentioned that Microsoft had released Azure Synapse, which is an integration of SQL Data Warehouse with these lots of cool machine learning and cognitive services, and it's used to provide analytical and predictive capability. Uh, it works with uh, Cosmo DB, SQL, MySQL, I got to play with it, uh, and it was so easy to bring data sources and, and then uh, using either Python, Scala, um, Sparse SQL, actually even uh, C-Sharp uh, to query the different data sources and then have basic vis visualizations in the toolset. Or if you wanted something more advanced, use Power BI for more powerful insights. Well, 
this week, I want to talk about another analytical solution named Azure Databricks, which is an Apache uh, Spark Big uh, Data Analytics and AI platform. It can be used with Synapse as well. So, so this solution just received a provisional authorization for DOD Impact Level 5. With these, uh, federal agencies and contractors can use Azure Data Bricks uh, to process the most sensitive unclassified mission critical and national uh, security data in cloud computing environments. In addition to playing with analytical uh, and predictive capabilities, uh, Another thing that I, I spent some time um, the la last few weeks is reviewing identity-related content. Lately, I've been reviewing um, YouTube videos. Uh, Stuart Kwan uh, recorded uh, these videos, uh, awesome videos, uh, in December 2019. You could search for them. Uh, they're called Authentication Fundamentals, and he has like six or seven videos. Uh, one is about the basics. Another one is about native client application. I think that one has two parts. There have one for federation, one for a web application, single sign-on. So they're awesome. So I recommend it. But but I also been researching these other blogs. The one that I thought it was awesome is this means fine security principle and uh, manage identities. And, and basically, it's because I've been reading all this SolarWinds uh, uh, documentation, and I have realized that uh, if you don't understand uh, the basics, sometimes you cannot realize whether whether the information provided is, is the correct, right? Uh, it, you know that certain people that are writing these articles uh, are not familiar with the subject, so Sometimes they use incorrect wording, which leads to wrong assumptions. So, so I've been reading a lot uh, so I can inform myself better. And of course, I, like everyone else, I, I have been watching some of the information from Ignite, including Sentinel, Microsoft, Mesh. Anyway, those are the news for me. All right, thanks for the news, everyone. Let's uh, let's switch tacks now and let's uh, introduce our guest. Uh, our guest this week is Anthony Roman, who's going to talk to us about Azure network security. Anthony, first of all, welcome to the podcast, and uh, we'd like to spend a couple moments, introduce yourself, uh, what you do at Microsoft. Thanks very much for having me. I am admittedly a listener to the podcast, so this is cool. So I, I came to Microsoft, I think, about two years ago now, and I originally came here to work on Sentinel um, and Azure Security Center. Um, but once our the team that, that I was part of uh, decided that we were going to take on some more products, namely the network security stack, uh, I jumped over onto that bandwagon, and now I lead a team uh, that focuses all on Azure network security. Primarily, we, we look after uh, Azure Firewall, Firewall Manager, uh, WAF, and DDoS protection. Uh, but as we're talking to customers, of course, the broader concepts of network security in Azure come up and so we we're, we're well familiar with with all of that so we we were pretty cognizant that network security in azure isn't just a set of products it's uh, a mindset a methodology uh, you know a, a set of disciplines that that represent network security yeah it's interesting you should bring up the topic of uh, you know networking in general and, and the disciplines that come with networking security 
There's a comment that I made some years ago, and it's something I, I stand behind 100%. I would like to know if you agree or disagree or have a, you know, some more finesse around the comment. And the comment is, you know, in a cloud-first world, you can't escape networking. It, it doesn't matter if you're a developer. It doesn't matter what you are. You really can't escape some of the fundamentals of networking. At least, I'm not saying you should be an expert in them, but you should at least understand some of the basics. And I really want to stress this. You know, cloud environments are, are, are quite different. Um, you know, from, if you're a developer, you really need to understand basic networking. And if you're in sort of ops slash networking, you really need to understand how to use some of these developer tools, uh, you know, Visual Studio Code or your you know, editor of choice, um, Git, GitHub, version control, you know, pipelines. These are all things that developers, you know, have been using for many, many, you know, many years, if not decades. And historically, those tools have not been really used by networking folks. So, you know, in my opinion, just my opinion, you know, if you're in networking, you got to understand basic development, uh, at least development tools. And if you're in development, you really have to understand basic networking and certainly the implications of uh, of network security. Is that a, a fair comment? Yeah, I, I I agree completely. I think there's there's two th two important things that that you touched on there. Um, we can look at it from both directions. One, uh, you know developers and, and just everybody that touches an Azure environment needs to know at least the basics of networking, uh, at least as it applies to their discipline. But we're seeing as as companies adopt more kind of cloud native uh, mentalities and the the roles blur between disciplines and, you know, you have democratized uh, ownership of different, you know, larger areas of uh, of the, the environment, then you do see people needing to have multiple skill sets. You need to be uh, uh, at least proficient in networking and in application design and architecture, and then you can write your code. You know, it's 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 not just it's not as uh, as rigidly segmented as as it once was. And so, and on the other side of things, yeah, if you're if you are primarily a cloud administrator or network security architect, something like that, then with cloud cloud computing, Azure specifically, uh, you really have to start understanding those principles of code because now that's your infrastructure. Now you can manage your entire environment with a, a single ARM template or a collection of them. Uh, so it, it it definitely goes both ways, uh, you know. And and it kind of brings in a, a good point of the the blurring of the line between even network security and let's say application security. Because you know, and when I introduce the, the the products that I tend to focus on, um, some of those are are can be thought of as application security tools over network security tools, and you know, thinking about that kind of blending together of of disciplines within security and with within you know just cloud operations and development in general, uh, you think about okay, what what is it that you're building on Azure? It, most of the time you're building some sort of app it's a it's a an application delivery mechanism whether that's a an internal line of business app or whether that's something that is uh internet facing public facing um you know you have to write application code that gets delivered somewhere and it's delivered over the network um and and so you kind of have those those two disciplines appsec and netsec uh coming coming together what would you say the the building blocks of secure networks then as, as you said anthony you know you cannot get away from no one gets away from networking so where where would you say people need to 
start to secure their network? That's that's a good way to start. Um, I think that if you so I'll bring in a buzzword into the conversation. You know, people people talk a lot about zero trust lately and zero trust in the the conversations tend to involve identity primarily and and I guess rightfully so identity is is huge it's the probably the the primary component of uh, the zero trust model uh, depending on how you formulate that model um, but if you look at the some of the pillars of zero trust at least as I guess Microsoft has uh, has written about it um, some of the the components that you find within that are just old-fashioned tried and true good security practices um, things like uh, defense in depth, uh, assume breach, uh, least privilege. Uh, you can translate all of those things uh, into networking concepts, and we'll we'll kind of go into how do we how to achieve those. So, if you if you wanted to adapt the principle of least privilege, let's say, which is primarily that's an identity concept, but you can translate something very similar, uh, which kind of goes hand in hand with assume breach into networking, which is the concept of micro segmentation. It's basically least privileged access when it comes to what on the network can talk to what else on the network. And so to achieve that end, there's a bunch of different building blocks and, and there's there's learning modules out there on uh, Microsoft Docs and everything that you can go through these these basic concepts. But some of the the things that to keep in mind would be thinking about uh, virtual network uh, as a, a its own isolation barrier. So when you create a virtual network or a VNet, you give it an IP address space. Unless you explicitly do something extra, like peer it to another one or connect it to a VPN or something like that, that VNet is its own boundary. It's, it, it is one barrier of, of isolation and segmentation. Um, you can then you can go steps further. Uh, once you once you have that VNet isolation, you can choose whether to expand that to other VNets. So you can, there's the concept of VNet peering. So one network attached to the next network. Uh, and then you can, within that peering arrangement, you can say whether the traffic goes, is allowed to go one way, both ways, uh, et cetera. And then within each VNet, you have the concept of, you can segment it further because by default, if you're in the same VNet, you can, you can talk, uh, you know, if the one VNet or one VM uh, lives on the same VNet as the other, it's going to be able to talk. And so you can get a little bit more segmented by using network security groups uh, or NSGs that will further lock down that communication. So if you don't want a particular subnet to talk to another subnet, you can make that arrangement uh, or you can go even more granular and say, I don't want this machine to talk to that machine even within the same subnet. So it's it, there's a lot of different layers, and so those are those are kind of the basics. Once you start getting a little bit more advanced, because we're talking about like I guess we can frame the conversation in. I'm a developer. I have an application that I that I've written. Um, let's say it, uh, the application code is running on a VM, um, and it, and it could be uh, a PaaS service as well, because a lot of our PaaS services, like let's say uh, a web app, can be given a, a private link, and so you can only access it on a, a private network, which you could integrate into your VM. So it could be either a virtual machine running on the network or it could be a web application running on the network. But how do you get that piece of your network 
available to where it needs to go. You know, whether it's the public internet, whether it's some other spot on your network, maybe you're, maybe you have a hybrid network where uh, your on-premise network is connected to Azure and you need to access that application from your, your on-premise workloads. The way that you can start doing that and putting all these pieces together is by what we normally recommend, what we see the most often in, in, in the wild is using a hub and spoke topology. So that's, it's fairly common now, I think, and if you're not familiar with it, the concept is you have one virtual network that acts as your hub. And this could be a, a just any virtual network uh, that you designate as the hub, or it could be, uh, we have a service called Virtual WAN, uh, and Virtual WAN could basically automate some of the the components of of connecting your networks together in a in a secure manner. We'll we'll keep it simple and we'll we'll talk about it in the the virtual network context. And so, in a in a hub and spoke topology, you'll have one virtual network that is acting as your hub, and via peering relationships to other spoke networks, uh, you connect multiple spokes to that hub. And so each of those spokes could represent different workloads. Uh, a lot of times we see customers that have, um, you know, I talked about kind of the democratization of control over uh, over pieces of Azure. Sometimes one application team, the development team, will have complete ownership over their own uh, subscription that has their own virtual network in it, and they just peer that to the hub, and it makes it so that 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 area of control they have now can talk to the central place. And your spokes could could be all kinds of different things. They could you could have a Windows Virtual Desktop environment as one of your spokes. You could have uh, an on-premise network segment connected by either Express Route or a VPN uh, as one of your spokes, and that would that would turn you into a hybrid technology uh, topology. And what do you put in that hub to to control the traffic? Because that 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 hub becomes your your center of control. And most times we see security teams have a lot of visibility into the hub and, and control over what happens there. Um, and this is this is the place where kind of everything comes together. So it's really important. The hub can usually either contain a, a network virtual appliance, what we usually abbreviate as an NVA. Um, and this is this is the the familiar appliances that people might be used to running on-prem. So it it could be a Palo Alto, a checkpoint, uh, something like that, that sits in the hub and, and it controls the traffic. We also have, I mentioned that that my team works a lot with Azure Firewall. Azure Firewall is the cloud native way to achieve uh, traffic filtering and, and uh, direction in, in, a, in a hub network. And so you can have different things performing different functions in that hub, but what it amounts to is it's the central uh, control point of the micro segmentation of all those other networks. So it's it's kind of a, a harmony between network security groups controlling local traffic, peering relationships, allowing traffic to go from hub to spoke and not from spoke to other spoke without going through the hub. Uh, you have uh, user-defined routes which control how traffic is allowed to to move, whether it's forcing traffic to that hub from the spokes or uh, forcing traffic even from the hub to some other filtering destination. Sometimes customers have uh, an on-premise inspection pipeline or something like that that they need to force all traffic from Azure back to. That that tends to be kind of a legacy arrangement, but it's it's possible. So there's there's a lot of moving pieces, but if if you can understand the general pattern of hub and spoke of of segmenting different workloads. Uh, from other workloads, you're, you're going to achieve those basic security principles that we know are a good idea. 
you're assuming breach by uh, performing inspection on, on all the traffic, forcing it through that central location, uh, not letting traffic get to where it doesn't absolutely need to go. Uh, you're you're doing again least privilege translated into the network level uh, by creating uh, allow rules rather than rather than deny rules. What that means is kind of we start with, with Azure Firewall specifically. It's a default deny, and so unless once you route traffic to it, nothing passes unless you say it can. And as long as you're making very deliberate choices on what to allow through, then you're going to achieve those good security principles. You're going to have a segmented network that, you know, only what needs to talk can talk. So uh, that was a really long-winded explanation of the, the building blocks, and I think it really only scratched the surface anyway, but uh, hopefully that's that's instructive. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things to talk about, right? That's just how it is. So, uh, Anthony, um, my my question for you is really around uh, traffic inspection and and monitoring and and what what is it that we can do with the traffic um, that that goes through uh, and over um, Azure Firewall with Azure Firewall standard. Uh, I'll start with standard and then I'll go into premium uh, shortly after. But with with standard, there's always been the capability of matching no matching traffic that passes through Azure Firewall, whether it's internal traffic. Uh, or inbound, outbound, whatever, against our internal threat intel feed. And so there's always been that capability, and that remains in, in premium and will remain uh, a piece of, of firewall standard. But that can be set into alert or alert and deny mode. So if there's a known malicious FQDN, let's say that one of your VMs is trying to communicate with, we can knock that traffic down. Same with if there is inbound traffic coming from an IP address that that is known malicious uh, that will that will also be knocked down. So, uh, threat intel is is kind of the most basic piece. But with firewall premium, we start getting into some more advanced capabilities. Um, and you can you can argue whether this first one is advanced or not. But uh, it's it's something that's new to us and required by a lot of customers. And so, the the first one is uh, IDS IPS inspection, so intrusion detection and prevention. What this is is basically just a signature-based IDS system that you can uh, that will match traffic against known malicious patterns, uh, and it's using uh, a subscription-based feed uh, that we manage for the customer, which makes it so that you don't really have to go in and and fine-tune the engine. We give you all the tools to fine-tune the IDS engine, but you don't really have to. We've kind of we offer a curated set of rules so you can just kind of turn it on in that either uh, detect or to detect and prevent mode uh, and, and have that extra layer of security. Beyond that, and I guess complementing that as well, we now have the ability to terminate TLS connections uh, at firewall, which gives us a better ability to see the entire packet uh, to apply those IDS IPS signatures to. This is done for both outbound traffic uh, and also east-west traffic, traffic that's going let's say from one VNet in your network crossing the hub where the firewall is and into the next VNet, uh, if it's going to a web application in that, uh, which hopefully is is all encrypted with HTTPS, we can have that connection terminate at firewall so that we can look at the decrypted payload, uh, which really adds to our ability to uh, inspect that, that traffic. 
when we've, we've done all this inspection, you know, IDS, we've looked at um, the IDS has had a look at things, we've broken up the TLS, etc. Then what should we be doing with that data? Where should it go? If you guessed Sentinel, you'd be correct. And I'm, I'm guessing that you guessed that. Ah, uh, uh, maybe I did just a little bit, but I suppose to be fair, um, to have to for a well-rounded conversation, you know, it could go to another seam if you're using something else. But ideally, Sentinel would be good. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. Is that uh, all of the tools that um, that encompass kind of the the network security stack? They all work on they're all Azure services, and so they all use the concept of Azure Diagnostic Logs. Um, and this is kind of just a, a a general point to make. I'm sure that you guys have talked about this before, but um, the difference between Azure Activity Log and Azure Diagnostic Log. I mean, a Activity Log records all the the control plane stuff but the data plane what happens inside your resources you have to take an extra step to enable the diagnostic logs and put it somewhere and these resources are no different so azure firewall and waf and ddos protection uh, all work on on diagnostic logs and you can send those logs to storage for archiving uh, a lot of times we recommend that for things like nsg flow logs um, and in fact, that's it, currently the only place that you can put them. You can put uh, your your log data in log analytics, and that's how you would you would pull it into Sentinel. And then uh, Event Hub, which, like you mentioned, you can pull that into a, an, an external sim. Anthony, I mean, a lot of these tools um, people are familiar with uh, on prem, um, even though we are talking about the cloud versions. Can you give our listeners a sort of an overview? of kind of comparing and contrasting the on-prem mindset of these tools versus the cloud mindset for using these tools? Yeah, I think that some of these things can translate directly. Yeah, I mentioned before that one of one easy way to keep your cloud environment looking a lot like your on-prem environment is to just use the virtual version of whatever appliance you're used to using on-prem. And that does work. That's a it's a perfectly valid way to to look at things. But then we have customers that do uh, want to embrace uh, the cloud concepts like infrastructure as code and things like that, um, and and manage their infrastructure as part of a pipeline. And so that's one thing that you know people tend to like about the services like Azure Firewall, you know, App Gateway and WAF and and all these things. Uh, you can you can manage them as part of the rest of your your Azure environment. And so uh, doing something like creating a firewall rule um, or updating uh, uh, some setting on, on your WAF config, those things can be done in the same system, in the same template even, as you updating you know the number of vms that are in your scale set. You know, the, all the things that, that go into your, your Azure environment can be done all in the same pipeline and so that's that's an advantage to a lot of customers it doesn't work for everybody but it is it is an advantage uh another big difference in in the thinking of of on-prem versus cloud is kind of the centralization of a bunch of capabilities into one thing into one box that's kind of the appliance uh mindset which again it works but when you have the the cloud native tools it enables you to think a little bit differently about that. You know, so the example that that I can give is 
maybe your on-premise firewall, you're used to being the central point for everything, everything, everything that happens on your network. So it's it it's where you terminate all your VPN connections. It's where you allow all your web application traffic in. It's the where you inspect all the traffic going out. It's where all the east-west traffic goes in between. Um, and that's fine. And that that does work in Azure too. But when you're using the cloud native components, you can pick and choose which service does what. It's a bit more of a modular approach. So you can have Azure Firewall doing uh, the the outbound inspection. You can have Azure WAF on application gateway or front door doing the inbound uh, inspection. You can have different services altogether, like VPN gateway doing your VPN termination. It's it's more of a kind of uh, you you check the boxes that you need and not the ones that you don't. So it's not like you have to put in one monolithic appliance to do all the things you provision just the resources that you need and not those that you don't. So you've sort of touched on uh, various technologies that we have in the stack, uh, one of which is front door. Some of our listeners may not know what uh, Azure front door is. Could you just spend a, a you know, brief moment explain kind of what front door is, how it works, how it sort of fits in the overall scheme of things when we're talking about network security? And also, while I've got you, um, you know, what's sort of new coming down the pike? Sure. So starting with uh, front door, I guess that's that's more of a, a conversation on uh, the application security or secure application delivery side of things. And so Front Door is one of the two services that you can currently attach an Azure WAF to. So uh, inspecting inbound traffic with the web application firewall uh, to detect and prevent known malicious web application traffic. So the things like SQL injection and uh, cross-site scripting and, and remote code execution and things like that, that that you tend to read about in headlines. So front door is it, front door and application gateway are the two attachment points for WAF. Those they are both uh, layer seven load balancers, which they they do application delivery specifically on the the application layer. And so uh, how that differentiates from let's say Azure load balancer or traffic manager is that load balancer and traffic manager just work on you know the network layer and so they do pretty basic load balancing dns based um, send send traffic arbitrarily to two different backend nodes that's that's a fine way to do things if that's your use case but if you have more advanced requirements like um, routing the same application traffic uh, let's say traffic to the same application but to different paths uh, to different backends that correspond to those different paths, which is path-based routing, you can use front door or application gateway. The big thing that makes these, that sets these things apart, and the reason that we attach WAF to them, is that they terminate TLS uh, inbound. So they always, there's always a, uh, uh, a a TLS termination that happens on them, which enables us to see the entire uh, packet and make either routing decisions based on that or do security inspection. And so that's why they're very relevant to us. And so differentiating front door and application gateway, uh, app gateway is the regional service and front door is the global service. And so app gateway lives in inside your VNet. It, it owns a subnet that's that's inside your VNet. So uh, back to our secure app design, it would, it would live in one of those peered networks, uh, maybe one of your spoke networks or maybe in the hub itself, uh, there's different designs possible. But App Gateway sits inside your network, and so it's it's kind of closer to home, and it works very well for uh, publishing internal-only applications, and it can also serve 
uh, applications that are that are internet accessible, but keeping in mind that it is it is served from a specific region. Front door being a global service is pretty much we say it's it's global. It's it's not attached to any specific region. But what is probably more accurate is that it is attached to all the regions. Um, when you host a, a web application on front door, it's simultaneously available in, at every one of our data centers throughout the world. And so it has an application acceleration uh, component to it. And then again, you can you can put Azure WAF on either of these services to, to do your, your web application security uh, inspection. And again, WAF, firewall, all these things, uh, you know, feed the the security data that everybody everybody loves. You also asked what's new. So there's new things that that came out uh, very recently, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, both, you know, we touched on Azure Firewall Premium. So that's the that's kind of the big new thing in the in firewall land, uh, which again gives you TLS inspection. Uh, IDS, IPS, um, web categories were another uh, piece of that that got released. And then Azure Front Door also has a couple of new SKUs uh, that enhance the security of the application delivery it is capable of, uh, which one of those things, I mean, there's going to be some some great improvements on what we're doing with WAF, but the for the time being, the biggest thing I think that's notable is that Front Door can now handle private link and so you can you can you can have basically a, a private connection from front door to your backends it used to be that you had would have to have a public facing endpoint that would sit behind front door which is not insecure there's ways that you can lock that down but putting it on a private link and having nothing on the on the public internet is uh something that a lot of customers have been have been wanting so some good stuff uh, that has been released and definitely uh keep an eye out for future releases because now that we're we're in the realm of of being able to decrypt traffic on on firewall i think you'll see uh some more and more capabilities piled on we've got customers that that have um other uh requirements that we're looking into uh developing nothing i can get into specifically now but uh it, it's definitely a, a space to keep an eye on we always ask all our guests this anthony at the end um of the podcast, but if you wanted to leave our listeners with a final thought or something they should do, um, what would it be? I would say just don't forget about the network. It's kind of it's funny that the 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 network layers tend to be the um, the easily forgotten about ones, the ones that people want to move beyond and say this is this is an identity first security world and things like that. But don't forget about the fundamentals um, and network network security is is one of those fundamentals. And so uh, I would just say say that don't don't forget about those uh, fundamental building blocks to security. You need to have defense in depth. And so even if you even if you are doing all the right things on, you know, the 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 higher levels and verifying identity every step of the way and doing, um, you know, behavioral and analytics and, and all the fun newer um, and I guess more modern security inspections, uh, there are there's a lot to be said about continuing to do the right thing on the fundamentals. It's uh, the comparison I make is, um, you know, I, IDS is, you know, maybe thought of as, as something that's it's been out there for a long time. It's not the most advanced security detection mechanism, but it is 
something that is that's useful um, as one component in the stack. It's not the end all be all, um, but just because you're doing in the comparison is just because you're doing, uh, let's say, really fancy things in EDR on your endpoints, you shouldn't turn off your sig signature based malware. It still has a role to play. And so network security and, and kind of the fundamental concepts, they still have a role to play even in you know an identity first zero trust world. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us this week. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. I know I learned a few things as well along the way. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.